Why did we just all have the complete silence? I no, thought you were going to jump in. I thought I you were going to go. <laughs> oh, you I were muted. Like, yeah. You look like you were getting ready to say something, so I didn't. I held off. Yeah, but then Classic I was like, oh, my mouse is too far. It's fine. This is all get cut. <laughs> You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your host, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of The John Chi Show. Now, today, it's just me, KJ, flying solo on the intro, and the interview that we have lined up for you is fantastic, but it's just myself and Nathan. Patrick is still off figuring out how to sleep essentially because he's got a a newborn child um and so we are in a new look in this season um but we're still committed to bringing you episodes uh, and interviews and stories and content and hopefully some laughs and some insights into what it means to be an adoptee uh and a transracial adoptee from the continent of asia at that um we call ourselves the janchi show because janchi is a korean word that means to feast or to celebrate and we are here to celebrate um our identities all of our intersectional identities that make us up make up who we are and typically at the end of the episode we have we feast on a food or a drink from usually Korea. However, again, due to a number of logistics and sickness and all this other stuff, there's not a food at the end of the episode. So this is just like, you know, it's just a new time. We're back in the saddle, kind of. We're crawling back into it. Be gracious with us. Um, But yeah, it was a really, really fantastic interview. So we're going to roll straight into it. Here is our conversation with Kate Kelly. Hello, welcome back to our interview portion. We are here with a fantastic guest, Kate Kelly, calling in all the way from China, right? I probably should have confirmed that before I started recording, but coming (laughs) in from China. Uh, Kate, welcome to the show. We're so, so happy to have you on. Thank you. Honored to be here. I'm excited because, so I was reading through your, your guest form and I'm like, just kind of like glancing through it. Okay. Getting ready, ready. See Boulder, Colorado. Okay. And I see China. And in my head, I thought that you were a Chinese adoptee and I was like, oh, cool. Another one of those stories. And then I was like, then I was reading more, but like, I'm not Chinese. Wait, what? So then I was like, wait, what's going on here? So I'm excited to hear your story and I'm excited to give you this opportunity to speak to our listeners and, and the, the world at large, um, whoever stumbles upon this. Would you please open this conversation up by telling us your story in as much or as little detail as feels good to you? Okay, awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> yes, I am not Chinese. I am a Korean American adoptee. <laughs> and you'll see it with my story. I am over the last three years, I've been explaining and over-explaining that I am not Chinese, um, living in China. <laughs> so <laughs> I <laughs> I was adopted at about eight months old in 1982 to a white family in Boulder County, Colorado. It's a small town called Louisville, Colorado, and grew up with two older brothers, also biologically my, my um, parents' kids. So white family, white brothers. One of my brothers is actually only eight 
months older than me because, um, you know, how the adoption process works out. You kind of sometimes get your kid whenever you get your kid. It could be like a long time from when you file your paperwork or like next week. So um, I arrived when my older, when my middle brother was only like, you know, uh, a toddler. So we're only eight months apart. So we grew up as twins in the same class and everything. So that was an experience because we're obviously not twins. (laughs) And um, I got that question a lot. (laughs) Oh yeah. Are you guys going out? Is that your boyfriend? You know, cause we've walked to school together and back. Yeah. Once we hit middle school, we got a lot of those questions. Um, And so let's see. And then my other brother is about eight years older than me. And let's see. I currently, I am married. I am a mom of two children. My husband is white. Our kids are mixed. And we are living in Chengdu, China, in the Sichuan province. We've been here since fall 2021. And uh, we were in Shenzhen for the first part of 2021. Or I'm sorry, the first part of our China stint. Shenzhen, China, which um, is a little more international than the province we are in right now. Um, and in August 2021 is when, let's see, there was, there was something, Khan did something. I was like registered or on virtually. Some Khan was doing something. I don't know. And that's when I came upon you guys and then um, the other adoptee community on Instagram <clears throat> and started connecting that way. And then basically just dove down the rabbit hole and did a bunch of work on myself watching all the side by side series on um, through I am adoptee and came out of the fog and came to consciousness. And a big part of that, I think was living in China and being faced daily with my physical identity because everybody thought I was Chinese, a local, because this country is so ginormous that when somebody sees an Asian person, you just assume they're Chinese. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was just very laborious every day going out <laughs> and explaining, I'm not Chinese. I don't speak Chinese. And um, I didn't have the language when we first moved to China. I only speak English. So I didn't have the language to say in Chinese, I'm not Chinese. So I had to learn very quickly how to do that basically as a defense mechanism. And you're for me, I was being talked to, talked at. They were just talking at me, and it was—it's very overwhelming when you're fresh off the boat from the U.S. So, um, yeah. So I did. Yeah, I just—I had the time and emotional space at that time when we moved to China to do the the work that it takes to um, explore my Korean adoptee identity, my Asian American adoptee identity, and. Uh, so I did that that fall and backing up, let's see, in 20, 2009, I went to, no, I'm sorry, 2008, I went to Korea for the first time just as a tourist to explore the culture. It was really amazing for me. And then I went to my first con in 2019 and that was a really good experience for me too. And though those two... Um, those two experiences, I still wasn't out of the fog or hadn't come to consciousness yet. It was more, um, it was just, you know, still a really good experience connecting with the culture and connecting with fellow adoptees at Khan. I still have a group of, there are five of us who 
stay in regular contact on a thread um, from con, from that con. It was all of our first con. And that's been really helpful, I think, for all of us. And um, it's really cool to see how we've all um, navigated our journeys since. Um, some have gotten more involved in their Asian and adoptee communities. Um, some of doing advocacy work. And it's just really neat to see, you know, what all happened from there. And that was only, what, five years ago now. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my experience so far with um, navigating adoptee and identity stuff. First off, let me say thank you for telling your story. Um, it's been a while since we've done an interview and I don't ever want to take for granted the incredible privilege that we have of having people come on the show and tell us their story. So thank you for your generosity in telling your story. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that you went to Khan in 2019 and were not out of the fog. You went to Korea in 2008, not out of the fog. That's not as surprising to me. Um, but it was 2021 that that was like really the thing. So can you describe to me like how you thought about yourself as an adoptee, as an Asian American woman, um, pre, I guess, 2021. And then after that, like what's, what's the, the difference, I guess. That's such a good question. I love deep, juicy questions like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) let's see. I think as, first going to Korea as a tourist, um, I think I just was, and I went by myself. I, I think I was just this, literally this like, um, tour American tourist in disguise because I had, you know, the, <laughs> Korean, the Korean exterior. I like to say I was you in disguise. Just walking around with an American flag on your body somewhere. And just be like, <laughs> look, I'm American. Right. Right. Um, I didn't look like a foreigner. Actually, I did, but you know, at first glance, I didn't. Um, I was tan because at that, I think at that point, I was um, running a swimming lesson program, and so I was in the sun a lot. And you know, Koreans typically are very fair and uh, do not like the sun, so that's I definitely stood out in that way. And anyway, so I was in Korea as a tour, as an American tourist and just taking in what I could. Um, oh my gosh, eating the food was incredible. That was a, that was a really huge, um, experience for me. Just the food made me feel so different than any food I had ever tasted. Just the taste of it, but also just how it made me feel. I felt alive. It didn't feel, I didn't feel like heavy. I didn't feel Loaded as I typically did with um, <laughs> American foods, all the foods I had growing you up. You weren't eating dairy. You were <laughs> yes, yes. Everything was so fresh. I think all the fermented foods and pickles really. I mean, now I know really helped my gut. So um, that was just a huge, a huge tip off for me that maybe this is really <laughs> where I belong as far as mm. um, as far as nourishment. And definitely helped me kind of shift the way I was eating once I returned home. Um, 
I don't know. I was just in such a different mindset when I went there. And again, I didn't go there for a birth search or anything like that. I just went there as a tourist and just curious, just a curious. I was, I was young. I was 26, I think. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I did do a file review. I did do that. That was intense for sure. Um, <laughs> And found out more information than what was in um, the file that my adoptive parents received, um, some original documents that were not disclosed. So that was really intense and very emotional. Wasn't expecting that. Um, so, but again, still wasn't out of the fog, still just kind of went through the motions. And, um, but I felt like, I felt like I returned and I, to America and I felt more of a connection to who I was physically um, and had a little more pride, I think, in being Korean after that. Um, but also still, there was also still a barrier of that's the culture I came from, but that's not who I am. I think, you know, I didn't have any Korean friends in America or a Korean community. So yeah, it was just kind of something I did kind of almost to check a box. Um, and obviously, and, and I definitely wanted to go back and I haven't been back and here I am so close to Korea. I have wanted to go since we've been here, but COVID and all of that. Um, so then, uh, to ans keep answering your question, um, with Khan went to that. I knew about Khan for about a decade before I finally went because it was just oh, wow. very yeah i backed out once because i just wasn't ready i, I registered yeah. one year and it was like a few weeks before and i just wasn't ready and then even i remember the first day of con i was so nervous to go to that first session which was an adoptee only welcome session i was so so nervous and you know i talked to my husband he came with me and our son too um and i was like i okay, here I go. You know, he's like, you're, you're going to do great. It's going to be all right. And then you walk into this room, this, this, you know, hotel conference room with a hundred other Korean faces, Asian faces, brand new to con all feeling the same way you do. And there, I think I was like a couple minutes late. So there's already this circle of chairs formed, but everybody just like moved their chairs and let all the latecomers in. And it was just like this <laughs> you just walk in and you're already embraced with this warm hug of um, emotion from these people that are strangers, but they're not. So that was incredible. And going to that, yeah, just showing up as, as a Korean American adoptee, curious, uh, open to connection with others. I think that was like the biggest thing when, for me, when I went is it's really important to go open. Um, because you never know what'll happen. And it just provides space for other people for connection. It just provides space for connection and possibility. And you're showing up as you vulnerable and kind of, you know, if you show up that way, you're kind of giving people the green light that, Hey, you know, you're approachable. Let's, let's be friends or let's connect. Let's have a conversation. I think that was really important that I did, um, and yeah, I was just, I didn't know, I didn't have the language during that, the trip to Korea and my experience at Khan 
of coming out of the fog or coming into consciousness. I didn't have that language. I didn't know that was a thing. So when I went to the, on the trip and then when I, you know, 10 years later, my gosh, it was like 11 years later, went to con, I just went as, as myself and just curious and didn't really have any expectation. Just like, Oh, what's, what's this? Let's give it a try. I'm ready. I have like the courage to go this year. Um, and it's not like that for everyone. I know people who it wasn't a good experience for them. And that's okay. You know, everybody's going to have a different experience. But mine was was really wonderful. Um, it would have gone in 2020. I think it was canceled because of the pandemic. And then I think 2021 was online. Um, mm. And I think I did log on for that. Yes. So, um, and I think that's when I first found the John Chi Show because you guys did something with Katie, like a snack thing. And that's yeah, I think when we I did like uh, the opening session sort of, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, we we're just going to record the, it yeah. and then, Interview. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that <laughs> answers your question, KJ, but, um, you know, when you don't have the language for things, it makes a big difference and you just kind of are going through the motions. And then you, I, for me, I found this community in 2021 where there were, there was a language of, the process of stepping outside of your adoption narrative that you've always known and looking at it from a different perspective and considering how you actually feel about different pieces from your vantage point, not anyone else's. Um, and that was, that was what happened for me. That was my, that's my definition of like coming out of the fog. Um, when I started seeing posts from people about what this was, I was like, Oh, okay. This is a thing, and I'm not alone. And other people are going through this, and this is possible. And you know, again, those side by side side documentaries were hugely helpful. I felt like I was watching myself in so many of those different stories, my own story, and uh, it was just very comforting to know that mm -hmm. I wasn't broken and there was nothing wrong with me, and it like normalized my experience and my feelings and emotions. So yes, my long-winded answer, KJ. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, and I, I love, so what's interesting to me, and I think you're probably one of the few, um, few guests who aren't like deeply, you know, like literally Glenn Mori, who's done the side by side project or a J Ron Kim, who, who is like an academic or you know, Dr. Kim McKee, you know, like two like literal doctors in the field of academia thinking about adoptees. But what's, what's surprising to me and, and delightful is I hear you using some of the language that they've developed, some of the language that is, has been in our, uh, in our community. And so that's why I was like, I'm curious if you were able to, um, talk about who you were then as opposed to who you are now, because I just, I, be, it's, it's really fun to hear people say like, oh yeah, what it's like to be fully conscious as an adoptee or coming like more than just coming out of the fog. I like, and I'm, I'm so grateful for, um, for, uh, Jaron Kim and, and, and others work, uh, to give us this type of language, but just hearing you use that and like to have that kind of own new vocabulary, uh, like as we continue to, to grow and evolve as a community, right. That we, we start with out of the fog and you go to your first, whether it's your first adoptee meetup, your first adoptee podcast, your first adoptee blog or video, whatever you start to 
sense some of the rhythms and the language of how we speak to each other. Um, and so it was just really interesting for me to hear that. But one of the things that was also very interesting to me, uh, as you were opening up in, in your question was you were talking about, um, being fully conscious and, and going through that process in China and you specifically highlighted, um, being an Asian American Korean in China. Um, I wonder what's the, what was it like to, be coming to consciousness in China as an American? Like, like, was that like, because for, for adoptees who came to consciousness in our wave, if you will, around the 2020 mm -hmm. era, uh, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, like there's the meta narrative of everything that was going on in America um, mm -hmm. and the way that we all reacted as men, as women, but certainly as Asian bodies. Um, and then you moved away <laughs> and then you yeah. had this whole other, uh, landscape to deal with. And certainly probably some, but maybe some, uh, nationalism, um, if not like racism per se, but, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. What was, what was that like? Wow. I love your questions. They're so, so good. <clears throat> well, I'll start by saying, did you reference 2020, um, when things started happening, when our then president started making references to Kung flu and um, the the Chinese virus and all of that, I mean, I just remember watching in horror. Um, we were living in Florida at the time. I was just, my jaw dropped. I'm watching in horror of all of these things he's saying to the world. And, you know, my husband was over to the side, uh, I think, you know, to running running his job from home, preoccupied with that, you know, but I, it, it felt like the magnitude of what was happening and what he was, what the then president was spewing was just sickening. And I felt really scared. <laughs> I mean, it was so dangerous, all the things he was saying. I felt so yes. scared as an Asian person in that country and as an American and, um, I just knew something bad was going to happen. <laughs> it was coming um, because of his following and the things he was saying. So um, I remember feeling very happy to be leaving the U.S. when we did. Um, and it was the first time as an adult um, after things started happening to Asian people um, that I felt really unsafe. And we were in Boise, Idaho for a year before we moved to China because that's where my husband's family is. And we wanted to spend a year there knowing we were going to be so far away. So <clears throat> we relocated from Florida where um, our kids were born. We'd been there about a dozen years and we were spent some time in Boise before we moved abroad and we were in Boise and I was looking for a storage unit to put all our stuff. And there was a shortage on storage units at the time because so many people were flocking to Boise, I think from um, California. And surprisingly, there was this shortage. And I remember for the first time in my life, feeling like if I walk into a storage, if I walk into this business they might not serve me because I'm Asian because of the trend that was happening. And I felt really 
just intimidated by my own society and by my own culture um, to just exist, to just like go ask for a, a service. And so instead, I called the storage unit facility because they can't tell I'm Asian because of my voice. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, like all of a sudden, I mean, I'd never gone through this before in my life, in my adult life, this type of discrimination that I anticipated the discrimination that was going to happen. Yeah. I think many of us had to. Um, so I called and because I just felt like, okay, if I'm going to walk in, they, they might say no, just because of how I look. So, um, Anyway, all that to say that we were ready. I was ready to leave the States when we left in fall of 2021. And now here it is almost three years later. We've had quite an adventure in um, China, being a foreign family in China, and we're ready to come back. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) which we are, we are coming back this spring. So um, back to your question. So yes, definitely layered a layered experience coming to consciousness out of the fog as a korean american in china i was just struck by you like holding and specifically calling out like asian american woman as like a asian american korean adoptee but like the uh, uh, the concept of i mean i guess like shame on me but i guess i was like oh yeah because like you could um blend in <laughs> quote unquote, uh, if you never open your mouth, then you could potentially, uh, blend in in China. And like, to me, I think, uh, I, I think what, what I was feeling is my, um, consciousness journey has also been really in lockstep with, I think broadly the Asian American consciousness journey in America. Um, and it's been like, it's just, it's just very tied to American culture. So what is it like to, come out of your previous life, your whatever, to um to to come to consciousness outside of the strappings of America while being still American, still aware of those things, but it not necessarily affecting your day to day in the same way that it would like living stateside. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um so I think giving myself the space to process on my own um, physically, you know, cause I didn't have the camaraderie of like physical friends to, to get together with and, you know, process this with as I was going through it. So I was on my own during the day, the kids would go off to school. My husband would go to work and I have the privilege of not having a job at the time. And so I just would watch, um, these, the series, do a little research, connect with people through Instagram. I think that was huge. That was my way of processing with community was um, liking things, connect, you know, DMing. Katie Gagel was huge. Um, you guys, I, I think Patrick, I, I, you know, commented on some of his stuff. Another part of my journey that we can talk about at some point was um, <laughs> a biological cousin reached out to me at the end of 2020. Okay. She's like a yeah, wild. And she's she's <laughs> awesome. She's a uh, Korean American. Her parents immigrated from Korea in the 70s. Um, she's like a third cousin, I think, but like a significant one when you do 23andMe. She's like a 2.2% 2. 2 
connection. It's not point zero zero one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not a fifteenth, not a fifteenth yeah. cousin. Yeah, twice removed. Yeah, yeah whatever. Exactly. So, um, yeah, community uh, via Instagram was helpful, and just I, I just kind of did a lot of it on my own. Uh, soul searching. And then I love Brene Brown. I listened to her podcast mm. regularly at the time and read her books. She's been huge, a huge part of my journey, I feel like, because I really resonate with a lot of the things that she talks about as far as belonging and uh, perfectionism and all of those things. So that can be challenging with um, for anyone. And I feel like especially as adoptees, as transracial adoptees. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder a little bit about like how your, your exploration into the things that you could find online stuff, media, stuff like that has also a similarity to other adoptees, maybe who are in secluded rural areas of the U S where they don't have a whole lot of adoptee resources as well. They're just, they kind of tiptoe into something and dip their foot into it. And then they go, Ooh, I, I want more, but I don't have a whole lot in my vicinity. And so then they start exploring, like you said, the, the different types of media. Um, and I, I feel like that's what I would do if I was in China. I wouldn't have any other resources because I wouldn't know the language. I wouldn't know where to go. So the first thing I would jump to is the internet or to podcasts or books or, or things like that um, and have that kind of um, that uh, almost in a way because I have less to do you know, because I'm in an unfamiliar area, I would jump in even more, I, I feel. But uh, did you find that as, as your like your main hobby, I guess you could say at that time when you first got De- there? Definitely. <laughs> hobby. Yeah. Describing it as a hobby. Just a yeah. casual journey into, <laughs> into your hobby. Yeah. I think Nathan, I think Nathan, I refer to it as a passion project. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was my passion project. Um, it was heavy, you know, this work is mm-hmm. heavy and I've talked to other fellow adoptees. It's, you got it. Sometimes you need to take breaks and come back to it sometime. And so that's what happened to me. I dove in head first, um, had some uncomfortable conversations with my adoptive parents and um, which actually went pretty well at the time. And then, um, I needed to take a break it, you know, 2022, that school year hit and I, yeah, I needed to take a break for me. I just needed everything to just kind of settle, absorb. And then, you know, I'm taking Chinese at the time too, to be able to get by, survive. (laughs) Um, because it's very different for me. It's a very different experience than being a white foreigner in an Asian country versus an Asian foreigner. And so you're just bombarded with uh, people talking at you and <laughs> telling you to telling you something, but you don't know what they're telling you or um, instructing you to do something, but you have no idea what they're saying. So, um, so yeah, I took a break focused on like integrating into the culture, not integrating, but you know, getting in settling into the culture so I could, I could get by. Um, so I processed a lot with my husband, which was super helpful. Did you ever find yourself uh, glad that you could blend in there a little more as well? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's wild <laughs> being in a situation in a country where you just blend in. Um, yeah. It's nice. It's definitely nice. Um, however, when I'm with my husband and my kids, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah. And, um, 
And that's one of the reasons we're moving back. We're in a province that's very mono-ethnic. So sometimes um, in the area we are also is pretty suburbs, uh, is pretty, is in the suburbs. It's uh, about an hour from the city center, which there's a little more going on and more foreigners there, not many, but a few more. <laughs> so we're, we're out in the suburbs. There's like um, Chengdu is, is formed by rings. So the, cent- the first ring is like the city center and we're in the fourth ring. We're out. Hmm. So sometimes when my husband and I are on a run, we'll run past these people and they will stop in their tracks, mouth open, and just stare at my husband. It's like it's literally the first time <laughs> they've seen a yeah, white person yeah. in the flesh, not on a screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then same with our kids. They get um, stared at, pointed at, snickered at, and people take pictures. In the States, obviously, that's inappropriate and malicious in mm-hmm. the pictures. But here, it's you don't have that feeling. It's super annoying, and we don't like it. Some of my friends tell their um, go up to the people and tell them like delete those pictures right away. You know, it's just really odd. Um, and you know, our kids are not circus animals, and <laughs> that's how they're meant mm-hmm. to feel when people are taking pictures of yeah. them because they've never seen mixed kids. Um, and then my daughter looks more like my husband. She's more of Caucasian features. You would never guess she was half Korean. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. at least. Um, so, and both of our kids have lighter hair. So. Yeah, our kids stand out. So when I'm with my family, we all stand out. And I guess they think I'm the the IE, which is like the the nanny. <laughs> mm. oh. Here I am with this white family. Um, but then they speak at me like, you know, are these your kids? I don't know what they're saying. Are these your kids? Or, you know, who are they? Or, you know, or, they say, are oh, they tourists? So beautiful. Wow. Yes. How lucky yes. you are. Right. My wife and I went to uh, China once, and uh, oh. I just remember being very cautious uh, at the very at the beginning of it because we didn't know anything. Um, we didn't know any you know any of the language really at all. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know these people like trying to sell us stuff on the streets were selling us stuff, or they were trying to sell us something, or they tried to take us somewhere. We didn't know. Um, but mm-hmm. toward the end of our trip, I do remember we finally realized from some other people that we had met that we could uh, say uh, "buyao." Oh yeah. Yeah. No need. Don't want. Exactly. And if we said that in a way that was quick and almost authentic, I guess, in a way they wouldn't bother us anymore. And I thought that was funny because if you saw somebody else, you know, it's like, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. You know, in English and get hassled, they would continue to get hassled. Totally. We said it. Yes. Just like, booyah, booyah. And then they would would walk away. And I was like, I liked that ability to kind of almost blend in and and not (laughs) have them. You know, yes, us a little bit more. Yes, and actually, Nathan, like the more aggressive you say it, the better. Like that, they yeah. like respond to that direct. And that was a, a big thing navigating the first six months, nine months that we were in China. It's like there are no pleasantries here, and that is okay. Like pleasantries to them are weird in in the states. Um, of course, like it's hi, how are you? You look at people when you walk, even strangers, eye contact, whatever when you walk down the street. There, there's none of that here, and it's almost weird if you do it. <laughs> So I didn't know that when we first arrived. And yes. And so I was, you know, when people would talk at me, I'd constantly be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I'm a foreigner. I don't speak Chinese or I, you know, try to say it in Chinese. I try to constantly apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They don't care. uh, Yeah. Just say booyah or um, I say, which I'm not Chinese. Um, So then what happens is they look at you. And then they say, but in Chinese, but you look Chinese and they do the circle around their face. Like they're arguing with you. They circle their face like that? Yes, but you look Chinese. (laughs) 
But, but your face. But, yeah. But your yeah. face though. <laughs> so the, exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, um, and then I have to say, which means I'm Korean. Um, and then they're like, oh, or I would say, which means I'm American. But then they still look at me like, hmm, really? You know, and then, yeah, but you're not, and then like, I, uh-huh. yeah. And so then I say, you know, I'm Korean. So when I start off by saying I'm American, then they, then they still look at me and they're like, okay, whatever confused so then i'll say like and and korean they're like okay so then one time (laughs) here are my two funny stories i'm in the taxi usually they leave you alone but sometimes they talk to you and he's i he starts speaking to me and i'm saying you know i let him know i'm not chinese i'm korean so he's like oh so he gets on his phone speakerphone through the car and he calls a Korean friend and he has this guy like start speaking Korean to me. (laughs) What? And so then I'm like, sorry, I'm American. (laughs) So he's like, Oh, that in Korean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so that was really, you know, and that's one of those times I think um, back to what you guys were asking, it's like, it kind of stings a little bit. Like I'm American I'm Korean American. I don't speak Korean, you know, and they're trying to, it was really sweet. He was trying to make a connection. Like, Oh, I know a Korean here and Chengdu, let me connect you with him. And I couldn't connect with him because <laughs> I don't have a language. And then another time I was checking out somewhere and, you know, they knew I was not Chinese that I was Korean. And so they put in their translator, everything in Korean that they wanted to tell me. And I was like, Oh, I'm American, you know? So it's just very laborious. <laughs> constantly it feels very familiar with with hearing other stories saying that their parents had tried to introduce them as children to like the local like liquor store owner or something who was also korean or like i've heard a lot of stories where they've always tried to uh, introduce them to someone who's locally korean or something and try to foster that instant like uh you know like connection or something um Jung. where they're, they're doing that yeah they're doing the same thing to you only over there they're trying to connect you with someone who's korean but but who someone's korean korean and speaks right. korean and it's like ah <laughs> uh wait <laughs> like nope so it's not me that's I mean, my yeah. family when i was there they they <laughs> called it was like a tourist hotline or something while we were there because we were talking in the the car and our language was very minimal so they called the tourist hotline to an english speaking uh, information person and then they handed me the phone and i didn't know what they were doing and then i'm sitting there on the phone and i'm like hello and they're and they're like oh hello uh your family wants me to talk to you and give you some information if you have any questions like like they like it was like a really weird i was like oh so you're just like a, like a tourist like hotline like a translator <laughs> translator <laughs> oh kind of, it wasn't even a translator it was just the english speaking tourist hotline yeah and they didn't ask me or anything. They just handed me the phone and I'm like, oh, hello. Who's this? <laughs> I was so confused and I That's didn't funny. have any questions because I, I didn't even know where I was. <laughs> no, no I mean, what questions. am I going to ask? What's the yeah. average temperature in this region? You know, I mean, <laughs> it was really odd, but uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to say, uh, you know, back to when you were talking about uh, going to Korea and uh, Khan for the first time, I just wanted to commend you also on that bravery of doing that because I don't know many, um, like myself included, that when I first took a trip by myself, like I was, I want to say I was, I don't know, 30. I, I think I, I think I felt 
you know, at a later age when I had um, the resources and the the bravery to go to a place by myself, uh, especially it wasn't it wasn't Korea, it was Australia actually. Um, but for you to go to Korea by yourself to explore and just be a tourist, I think is 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 amazing. And and I wish I had, had done something like that sooner than uh, than uh, thirty. But uh, also um, going to Con, I know you talked about going to Con for your first time, and I know there's there's a consistent amount of newcomers that come to Con every year. And um, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that and what you, not to be, you know, biased uh, with Con right now, but uh, I personally am just more interested because I, I mean, I've been involved in Con for three years, but but I'm still always fascinated with the history of it and the uh, hearing about people who knew about it way sooner than I did. Like you said, you knew about it 12, 13 years ago. Um, I just found out about it like five years ago, you know, so four years ago. Yeah. Someone first told me about Khan uh, way back in, it was around the time I went to Korea, actually. Um, I was living in Colorado. I was living in Boulder. And it was a woman who was, I feel like, really involved with it. I don't, she was a Japanese-American. She's passed away since, unfortunately. Um, older woman. And she was connected with this little group in Boulder. I don't remember what it was called. Um, she was connected with somebody I knew who was adopting from Korea. Her name was Deb. This woman's name was Deb. And she was adopting from, she and her husband were adopting from Korea. And I knew them well. They had two kids of their own already. And <clears throat> they were curious about my experience. And at the time, I was a real people pleaser. It was a, I feel like I was just such a different version of myself. Um, I was a real people pleaser. And I was like, yes, let me tell you about my experience. And I felt like they looked at me as this poster child for adoption. And I wasn't, um, looking back, I wasn't being authentic with myself. Um, because I didn't have those tools, really. I was just existing. It was my early 20s, mid 20s, I was existing as the best I could. And um, these people were looking for support and I was going to support them because that's what, that's what I did. If, even if it didn't align with who I was, but I also didn't really know who I was as far as being a, a oh, you're saying an a 20 year old, 20 something year old doesn't know who they are. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they wanted to actually, I think I volunteered, I volunteered, Hey, Oh, you're adopting from, you're thinking of adopting for Korea. Let me, let me, let's talk. So, um, I, I, you know, connected with them. They were really on the fence about it. And then they decided to, to do it. And they invited me to go with them to Korea to get her, um, oh, their wow. daughter. <laughs> and so, and I'd never wanted, had any interest in going before. So I said, oh my gosh, I'm so flattered. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to go with you guys. And again, you don't know if she's coming next week or in nine months. Um, so at the time I was doing student teaching, so I had to be back by a certain time. I only had a window of time where it would work for me to join them. So the window was approaching and the, the little girl still wasn't ready to be picked up. And so I said, oh, I don't think it's going to work out. But I, um, in my mind, I was already like going. And so I decided I'm still going to go because I was like ra uh, ramped up to go, geared up to go and excited about going. So that's why I ended up going by myself. Um, mm. 
So, and I met their baby before they did. <laughs> that was wild. Um, the adoption, same adoption agency that I came through. So when I did my file review, you know, they arranged for the little girl to come to, um, the orphanage and meet me. So that was cool. And they, the family loved that too. I brought pictures and everything. Um, we've lost touch, but I'd like to reconnect at some point. So anyway, so yes, in that community, with my friends in Boulder, they told me about Khan and I was like interested, but not, I just wasn't ready. Um, I was like, yeah, that doesn't sound like something I'm comfortable with. <laughs> so I shelved it. And then fast forward, um, ended up moving to Florida in 2009. And I think it was 2011, 12 that I was registered to go. And then, and then I backed out. But, um, yeah, I think it's just afraid of, I was afraid of like, I don't know, maybe I was just afraid of like that part of me that's never been explored. And so I just, it was more comfortable to just not explore it, you know, to stay in that comfort of not knowing. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. So finally found the readiness, um, I'm not sure how I decided to go when I went in 2019, but I did. And, oh, maybe it was having kids. Maybe it was that my son was about, and that would have made him uh, six. He was, yeah, five and a half when I went. And um, so maybe that was it. Uh, having kids for me shifted things with my own identity because I want to, I wanted them to, I want them to feel good about being half Korean because I never felt good about being Korean. So I wanted them to have a different experience than me and expose them to it, do with it what you want, but this is half of who you are physically. Um, Mm -hmm. From a young age, they started using chopsticks at home, just, Korean chopsticks and training chopsticks just to kind of expose them to that. So now it's, so it's funny when they moved to China, they already knew how to use chopsticks <laughs> as Americans, you know? Um, and they're Korean there. I have some friends who are Chinese American and their kids don't know how to use chopsticks because they're just, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a priority for them. That's fine. Yeah, so same. it's just funny. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I think, yeah, having kids for me was, pivotal in exploring more about who I am so that I could then impart um, some confidence in them as to who they are in that part of me. I Mm -hmm. just didn't want to raise my kids in resenting being Korean like I did growing up. Um, So con, it was cool that they had um, sessions for uh, like a whole kids club thing going on Mm -hmm. and sessions for children and sessions for spouses. I love that. My husband and I went to some of those um, sessions for parents, adoptee parents and their spouses talking about raising kids. Um, and then sessions for spouses talking about being married to an adoptee. So I just felt like it's such a great way to connect with others, feel supported. Just It's just such a a space this that you know con has carved out this space of several days to just connect and why not mm-hmm. um yeah and even if you're like trepidatious about it it's it's just one of those things like just 
take a chance and jump in and maybe it'll be, yeah, you never know. And maybe it'll be wonderful. Maybe it won't be for you, but you'll never know until you try. (laughs) Exactly. And that's great that you did. And that you found, you said five uh, friends Mm. from that, that you still uh, connect with. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. something for me. I mean, I, you know, I mean, this podcast, I didn't same thing. I mean, finding KJ and Patrick was something, you know, that I, I found as a huge plus out of this as friends, not just as, you know, podcasters and and co-hosts and things like that, but as friends, I found that this, this, you know, when they, you know, when we started it, it was like, why not? Let's try it. And you know, what's, you got to try it. And then who knows what's going to come from it. But the friendship came from it, something that, uh, that has been great. And with con, Mm -hmm. same thing, the, the way that I found some community within, um, the con volunteers and, and the participants, the people who come, the attendees, um, I just, it's, it's now for me more than just a healing process of, of going to this, this, conference of adoptees that have some similar stories but then some completely different stories and everything and then i just find that i connect with the ones that that uh that i have uh you know some things in common with and it's been great because of that and that's Mm -hmm. something again that i didn't expect out of it i was expecting more of just like more information about you know what's what it's like to be, you know, a Korean adoptee or hearing, you know, other voices talk about their experiences. That's kind of what I, f- I expected it to be. I didn't expect it to be these close relationships in this community that I found from it. So, mm-hmm. so I'm happy that you did find that from that with those, those five people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think every year people go, they find and meet more new people. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you again this year at that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's also important to realize that we're on, we're all going to receive those experiences so differently. Sometimes it's going to be, if it's good for one, it might not be good for another. Um, one of the friends I have, she didn't have a great first con, um, but it didn't prevent her from going again, but it was just, that was her experience. It wasn't great. Um, and I I really enjoy the diverse array of of experiences that we all have. Some of us want to be in reunions. Some of us don't. Some of us mm-hmm. had good reunion experiences. Some of us did not. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge and be aware of just how different all of our all of our experiences and emotions around our own stories are because they're not all mm-hmm. um exactly. they're not all the same they're not all similar they're actually all really different and then when you if you find people who have similar experiences as you that's awesome but it's also cool to connect with people who don't and that's great that you did that with your kids too you know the experience and just the the culture that you want them to kind of be introduced to as well i i find that as something that is always pushing me to do more as well with my kids is, is introduce them to more things and not be afraid to talk about adoption with them or my Korean culture or heritage or uh, my wife's Chinese and Japanese culture. And so we try to integrate that a lot. So, um, I'm sure they're getting a lot of that in, in even being in China, getting some, at least of the, you know, the, uh, the experience over there and being close to, to Korea. I mean, just having any experience I think with Asian culture, I think is great. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting reverse inverse experience with my daughter <laughs> since she looks more white and now she's growing up. She's spent three years in an Asian 
culture. So it's like completely opposite of what I went through. (laughs) So I remember in kindergarten her saying, I want to be Chinese. You know, all my friends are Chinese. Mm. I want to be Chinese. (laughs) Like, sorry, you're not. Um, (laughs) So it's like when I was little, I'm like, I want to be white. I want to have blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, (laughs) so it's, it's been interesting to go on that journey with her, that identity journey. So that, that leads me really nicely to my my next question. Um, so part of my personal journey for 2024, um, I don't really do like New Year's resolutions, but I do kind of have like a theme for the year, if you will. Um, so for 2024, my theme for the year is embodiment and like feeling my body, being in my body, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm reading a book that's really fascinating about kind of that journey. Um something that we've been like kind of jokey about, but also like very serious. And there's always, like you mentioned earlier, like that, that twinge of like, ugh, is being Korean or being American, being enough of one thing for the perspective of one person or whatever. And, uh, and certainly your kids, um, being <laughs> Korean American and white and, uh, in China and, and, and navigating that. Um, and you said like, you know, I want my, kids to love being Korean and like, and feel good about being Korean because that was not a thing that, that you had. Um, and I think like, so I typically on the show, I, I ask, um, some version of it comes up, like, how do you feel about being ethnically Korean, um, as a, a different identity than being an adoptee from Korea as a different identity than being Asian American. Um, because I think that that's like its, its own thing. Um, given all of the work that you have done in the past five years um, and like your whole life and being in China and all that, um, how do you feel about yourself right now and being Korean American in China? Like how has that, has that shaped um, how you feel about yourself and like those kinds of like big physical identities that really kind of shape who we are and who, how we feel about our, ourselves and our bodies? Oh my gosh. Your questions are Casual so question. good, KJ. The casual, casual, you know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wish more people ask these type of deep questions. I will be honest in saying that at times it's confusing. And I feel we all have ever-changing identities. Mm-hmm. Um, my identity is so different than when I went to Korea, than when I went to Khan, um, than before I came to China. I, have, I feel much more comfortable in my skin as a Korean person than I did, <clears throat> than I ever have. <laughs> Would have... The first times I actually felt pride in being Asian was after I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon all those years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, I came out of the theater and I was like, holy crap. I, I feel good about being Asian. Those people were badass. <laughs> and whole, I'm, I'm like, I'm like that. I can be badass like That's that. Me like up it there. Just, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so that was definitely in, a pivotal moment. Um, yeah, I, I feel in this, in this moment, I feel good about being Korean. 
I know more Chinese language than I know Korean language at this point. And I, if you would have asked me, you know, in the past, if I ever thought I would know more Chinese than any other <laughs> second language, I would be like, no way. Um, even the thought of moving to China when my husband um, was looking into the job, I was like, no, no, because it was so triggering. And growing up, it was Chinese, you're a Chinese kid, Chinese face, mm. flat face, whatever. And so like the the idea of China, you know, it just was very cringy to me. So, um, so, you know, in order to survive, I've, I took a year of Chinese, um, very casually. It was like three hours a week with my teacher. And so, um, I, I wish I knew more Korean than Chinese and maybe I will eventually. Um, it's important to me because those, it just kind of, for me, it will help. I think it'll help me feel better about my physical identity. If I knew, um, a little bit of the language where my roots are from where my roots are. Um, and <clears throat> Connecting with my biological cousin was pretty cool. Seeing someone physically that I'm related to that I didn't give birth to <laughs> was pretty cool um, for the first time. And knowing that I have those roots out there is fascinating to me. I had this other really difficult experience when I was living in Shenzhen <clears throat> when we first moved to China. There was a community. We lived in these service apartments that were full of foreigners. And there were a few Americans, fellow Americans. There were some Russians. There were some Germans there. And then there was a very dominant group of Koreans, maybe 40 Koreans and 20 moms married and with all of their children. And um, I made friends with one of them because one of them spoke spoke English and she was wonderful. And we talked about how I was adopted and everything. And, um, I didn't belong in this group because I didn't speak Korean and they didn't really welcome me into the group because I feel like, because I wasn't, because I was a Korean American, but I couldn't, I asked my friend, I asked her, I was like, is it because I was adopted? She's like, no, no, no. It's they're they're self-conscious about their English. They don't feel like their English is good enough to, you know, to communicate with you. Um, so that's why I'm like, okay, but it just, it was this kind of odd tension and maybe it was, maybe I was, maybe it was all in my head, but I mean, they would be like in a part of the lobby every day, like having sex with their kids and conversing. And I was just, I couldn't be part of that because I didn't have the language, mm -hmm. but I really, really I felt really sad when I was around them because I felt like I was one of them, but I wasn't. And if I wasn't adopted, I'd be one of them. And it was wild to be a mom and looking at all of these Korean kids. Um, my kids played with the Korean kids because kids are kids and they'll play together. Um, but it was really wild to see these little Korean girls and, you know, like, yeah, it was. So <laughs> I was going through all of that being this outsider looking in on this Korean community in my, in China and, and taking myself out of the fog at the same time and navigating my 
identity in China. I mean, it was wild. It was like the universe was just piling it on. And I was like, all right, <laughs> bring it, bring it. <laughs> so um, this beautiful friend named Mie was my Korean friend. And she, it was, boy, that was, that was like, it's just one of those relationships you're meant to have at the time. Those friendships you're meant to have at the time. I told her my story about being adopted. And then she <laughs> proceeds to tell me that when she was a child, her dad died. So her, but her mom's family, you know, was there to support them. And, and so it was just like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like maybe she was like, wow, that could have been me like being adopted because mm -hmm. my, my dad died. Um, so, and we were the exact same age. It was just wild to have this connection with her. So yeah, it was, it was difficult to be in that space with these Korean families that I was also Korean, but I wasn't. Um, so that hurt. I felt disappointed and sad at that time because I, you know, at that time I quote, didn't feel Korean enough to be able to be, you know, in community with them. Um, that was difficult for me. And and it was like a daily thing because I'd come in with my kids after getting them from school. We'd walk past this group of <laughs> Koreans, you know, they'd wave and be polite, but I couldn't go hang out with them because I didn't have the language. Um, then some of the little girls who um, were going to an international school there and spoke English befriended my kids and we would chat and I'd said, oh, I'm, I'm Korean. And they were super sweet. And then... One day, Mie, my friend, introduced me to her daughter. Her name was Yuni. And she's like, Yuni, she tells her in, I think in Korean, this is Kate, she's Korean. And Yuni says to me in perfect English, she looks at me in the eye and she says, what's your name? Your Korean name. <laughs> and I had an answer for her. I did. I was like, Suna. She's like, oh. And then she like went off and played. But that was like <laughs> so... I don't know. That was like such an incredible moment in my life that I will never forget because I felt like I, like I felt Korean in that moment. Mm -hmm. I felt so Korean because I have a Korean name that I was able to <laughs> provide a response yeah. to this little girl who was curious to know who I was. And that was just, I don't know. That was like such a gift um, in this time where I felt so sad and, and like I didn't belong again. Um, that was a gift. So that was cool. That was neat. I hope, uh, I keep in touch with Mia and hopefully we'll meet up in Korea one day. They're back in Korea, I believe. Um, a lot of Koreans were there in Shenzhen because their husbands worked for Samsung and they were located there, relocated there as anyway. So, um, yeah, that was, a part of my Korean identity that felt good in that moment. Um, be able to claim myself as Suna for the first mm -hmm. time when someone asked <laughs> a little girl. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just open KJ to how my identity evolves as I move forward in, in life. I, I'm a very different person than I was even 10 years ago, five years ago, just living life and being open to what opportunities come along to grow. I always say I'm growth mindset is huge for me. Um, not feeling complacent 
or um, stuck, like in a fixed mindset of this is who I am, this is who how it needs to be. Uh, it's really important for me and my family to embrace opportunities to try new things, try out different perspectives, learn different perspectives, and kind of feel out what what feels good. You know, if if an opportunity comes along, like try it out. If it doesn't feel good, leave it. Move on to the next thing. Um, we're always changing and it's for me important to harness those things that come along that align with your values and how you feel and just always learning super important 100 percent. yeah speaking of feeling good how how has that (laughs) been transferred into your current um this new project that you have a health and wellness coach how is that is that kind of gone along with feeling good? Is that, uh, I mean, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. So I started health coaching for uh, a company called Noom pre-pandemic. Um, so it's that wellness app on your phone. Yeah, uh, it's I've seen primarily that. to, yeah, primarily to help people with weight loss and, you know, other things, a wellness app. So I started coaching for them, uh, online coaching 20 at the beginning of 2020. And then we all know it happened. So I had to put that on hold as my family and I got through the pandemic with everyone home on top of each other, because it was great. I was doing this uh, full-time coaching first time back in the workforce since having my kids. And it was awesome. They go to work and school and I had all this time and space to work. And then kids were home e-learning. My husband was running a school from home. It was crazy. So I had to put that career on hold. And then fast forward, we moved to China, come out of consciousness, come to consciousness and decide I'd like to get back into health coaching this time with my own business. And I'd like to eventually help fellow adoptees with any sort of health issue they might be having and it may or may not be related to having been adopted and going through the adoption experience. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What stage of launching this business are you in? Are you like in the, I'm preparing my things or you're like, I'm about to roll out and you like, a I I need clients. Like where, where are you at? What are you excited <laughs> about? Yeah. Good, good question. I have launched my business. I've launched my program. It is called the Epic Method. Um, it's on Instagram. I've been doing a lot of all of my marketing through Instagram since I'm here in China. When I started this program, it was just going to be virtual clients, virtual coaching since I'm in China and my target market is not here. <laughs> it's in the States and North America, probably, and maybe some Europeans um, who speak English. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, Australia. Um, so it was, any, it was a uh, virtual coaching. And now that we're moving back to the States, I'll be able to, um, do in-person coaching as well. Um, I'll be moving back to Colorado. So already doing some networking and getting involved with some of the adoptee community there. And so, yes, it's called the Epic method. Epic stands for explore, plan, implement, and conquer. And Four Steps, it's a 12-week program working with anyone. And uh, specifically, I've been, I designed it for fellow adoptees. 
to who are having a little bit of trouble reaching their health goals, health and wellness goals, and feeling a little stuck. Maybe you've been doing the same thing for a long time and it's not working and you'd like to try working with a health coach, a different approach. I'm not a therapist or a counselor. However, some of the experiences we've gone through as adoptees come into play with how your physical health is playing out in your day-to-day. So um, that can be emotional eating, that can be indigestion, inflammation due to diet or lifestyle, stress management. It covers a myriad of things and um, it's a holistic approach. So that is the Epic Method. And yeah, I just launched it at the end of January. Um, And I love it. I love health coaching. I love working with my clients to help them help improve their lives and just feel better. Lots of times health coaches partner, general health coaches partner with uh, doctors. So a doctor will say, okay, you need to work on this because you're pre-diabetic. And so send them home. I'll see you in six months or a year. And then they don't know what to do. Like, okay, but how do I do that? So health coaches will partner with doctors or practitioners to uh, help clients stay accountable, help create plans for them, um, and someone to just check in with and kind of hold your hand as you work on your your health goals. I was curious on what kinds of things um, go along with uh, adoptee-specific health goals, I guess. I know, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned a little bit about, um, or maybe maybe we talked about this another time off air or something but it was it was like you know the the check marks on on a health uh survey when you you sign in they always ask you for medical history right and then mm-hmm. it never says i don't know my medical history because i'm adopted kind of things like that but what other things mm-hmm. have you found that are adoptee related in this uh, this wellness in your wellness program or in other things that mm-hmm. you think maybe need it mm-hmm yeah, the unknown health history is a big one. All of us, many of us adoptees always have to check that. And it's very defeating. And even just the emotion that comes with that when you go to an appointment, some adoptees just even dread going to the appointment for that very reason. Like, oh, there we go, you know, unknown. And then you go to the appointment and they're like, oh, I see that you're adopted. Oh, um, my cousin, my cousin was adopted. And then they want to talk to you about your adoption. And you're just there to like, have your zits checked or, you know, have <laughs> yeah, your not everyone can say, I have a podcast, go listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, as adoptees, um, it's important that we don't let that unknown health history piece of our story define us as we move through life. And it can feel very defeating and it can also be just like this, this dark cloud that follows us. So it's like, you default to that? Like, Oh, I don't know my health history. So I'm just going to keep eating poorly and being lazy because like, this is it, this is it. Like I'm doomed. (laughs) So for me, it's important to empower my clients to take control, take back their health, know that there are things you can control with your, um, lifestyle, not just diet, but uh, how much you move, your stress management, your mental health, your spiritual health, just keeping everything alignment and in balance. Because when one thing's out of balance, it just throws everything off. So empowering adoptees to 
do the work to understand how it's all connected and some education along the way as to what they can change. And we have, we're more in control of our health than we realize is important to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other things that come up with adoptees are, you know, the people pleasing and perfectionism, per- perfectionistic tendencies and the lack of self-worth that some of us grow up with just feeling othered. And that shows up with chronic pain, inflammation, um, bad relationship with food, because for the, those of us, um, me included, who grew up, <clears throat> you know, trying to be perfect and trying to appear perfect and have the perfect body, which I'm learning more and more is like a, a symptom of um, growing up in a white supremacy culture and diet culture is based on white supremacy. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah, it's just unlearning those behaviors and get into a place where you're feeling better. I think that's really fantastic. And um, my wife is in a, a similar space, not exactly the same, but a similar. And, um, and it's been really fun helping her launch her own business and to have specifically someone who is an adoptee who gets the adoptee take and to know um, someone who's aware of how all of that can affect um, the choices that you make and how sometimes like, I don't remember, I think I was reading maybe I was reading a book or something, but it was like, oh yeah, sometimes like we don't really get free will because of like so much of our circumstance decides certain things about how we are, you know? And so like for us to just be aware of like, this is, there's a lot of circumstance and to work with someone who, um, you don't have to do that constant explaining. You can just like, not, you can just be yourself. I think is such a, like, that's such a burden to, to be released from when you're also trying to do the already very difficult work of paying attention to yourself, paying attention to your lifestyle, uh, you know, getting, getting 10,000 steps, getting like drinking enough water, like literally getting into the sunlight. If that's, you know, something that is important because you work inside all day or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really, really fantastic. Thank you so much for people for, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, it has been really fantastic um, hearing your story, hearing about all that you've been up to in China, your experiences there, um, and hearing about your business. Uh, and I'm, I'm so excited to see uh, how that grows and continues to, um, to help our community and beyond. Um, if people want to get connected with you, what is the best way for them to do that? I think just DM me on Instagram. It's at Kate Kelly Adoptee Health. All right. Perfect. Uh, And we will have that linked in the show Mm -hmm. notes. Um, But for now, I think we're going to sign off. Uh, you can find us at John G show on all of our platforms, call in 972-677-8867. If you have a question or just want to say hello, leave us, uh, an email, John show at gmail.com, uh, support the show at John show.com slash support. Uh, and you can hang out with me at KJ Relke on all of my social areas. You can hang out with me on Instagram and Nowak. Um, I'm still on Facebook in the after party at Nathan Nowak. Patrick is Patrick in the world and he is enjoying daddy duties at the moment. So um, I don't know if he's everyone, enjoying, I mean, he's I probably know, enjoying right. them, he's, but he's, he's probably just been like, I'm so tired. He's it's, it's, it's ups and downs. It's a roller coaster, <laughs> but uh, we wish him the best. So send him some love on, uh, on his handle. And uh, yes, Kate, thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and sharing everything that you did. It's been great to, to talk with you again. And uh, yeah, and I hope to see you at con. So or yeah, back here in Colorado. Awesome. 
since you said you're yes. moving back soon. So <laughs> for sure. But, Thank you guys. This was an absolute yeah. honor and a privilege. Yeah. Well, thank uh, you. We loved having you. Yeah. Um, listeners, until next time, John Chi. Hey, hey, hey.